thank you for coming, everybody. This is great. We're here to teach podcasting. Right? That's what it feels like a little. No, lovely to be here. Uh, we want to thank Pramani Brothers for delivering us <laughs> the greatest sandwiches ever. Yeah. Uh, I'm fat now. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you get fired up for a show. Yep. Just eat a big old meat sandwich. Yeah. And then lay down. You're listening to The Dollop. Just uh, just checking American History Podcast. Each week, I. What? It's just doing the introduction. Here we go. Juke owner. Just, yeah, someone went, oh. Oh. Solar panel owner. Yeah. Made that very clear to me, yeah. 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 Labradoodle Daddy. That's better. Dave Anthony. That's me. I read a story from American history to my friend. Oh, the less ego-driven Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. So long. Thank you, sir. Oh. Uh, I would uh, like to point out that I will be at the Albany Funny Bone. Oh, October here we go. Fourth, fifth, and sixth, and then I'll be at Rooster Teeth Feathers in California, November first, second, third, and fourth. Come dance with Garfy. Okay. Yeah. We sorry we we uh, this one sold out, and we should have had a bigger theater. But you guys can all yeah. You don't care. They, they're agent. into that. They're here. No, but there's yeah. But, for booking, for booking such a small venue, we could have we could have a lot more than this. So a lot of people in Pittsburgh couldn't come. Can you guys all quickly yell uh, uh, my, at my agent? Fuck you, Josh. Fuck you, Josh. Okay, good. Where's the beer? Oh, so there's no beer, and it's a small venue. All right, let's give there's it to Josh no beer? again. Oh, okay, boy. and we have all the beer. <laughs> Now I know how fucked up this is. Uh, I want to thank Jill Vine, who might be here, uh, for helping me out with tonight's topic research. Um. Yes. <laughs> December 19th, 1849. There's one river. What? There's got to be more this, to that. In this story. Okay. There's a river in this story that can go fuck itself. <laughs> and, and Is that well, what it's called? In Pittsburgh, it should it be called should that. should be called that. Yo, go down there to go fuck yourself. <laughs> Henry Clay Frick. <laughs> oh, finally. <laughs> finally. We're finally doing this one. Yeah was born at West Overton, Pennsylvania. Okay. His grandfather ran a successful whiskey distillery and was the wealthiest man in the county. All right, yeah. He's got frick you money. <laughs> yeah. 
Hot start. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Other than providing a small cottage and a few acres of bad land on his estate, uh, Henry's grandfather shared none of his wealth with his daughter or her family. It would just be like, can you imagine having an abundance of something and then people being around you that are close to you not being able to have any of it? So you're just sort of sitting there while you have a ton of stuff. And then the people that you care about that have done so much to, to help you, they're, they're there, and you're just meanwhile sort of distracting yourself with a thing. I mean, I mean for God's sake, what, are you going to die with all of it? You're not going to have all that in your life, mister. Mm. This beer is so good. It's not bad. <laughs> but he did serve as a role model for his grandson, Henry. At an early age, he became determined to have a larger fortune than his grandfather. Okay, good. That's we, healthy. This might have also been because Henry's father, John, was not successful at all. He failed as a painter and struggled as a farmer. Well, it skips a generation. Yep. I think we've all heard that. It's one of those. Henry was considered a, f- a considered a fragile boy. <laughs> he was skinny, underweight, and delicate. Is the, uh, delicate just seems Delicates. like it's an opinion. Delicate doesn't I seem like know. it's like no doctor's like he suffers from being delicate. He uh, I'm let me sorry. get the chart up here. Sorry, your son is delicate. You Watch. See. Yeah. Ow. Yeah, see. Suffers from what we call being a pussy. Your boy is a huge it's pussy. It's a medical and term. Used to be called being a Nancy. Yep. <laughs> but then you know what happened. We found out that that wasn't right. So now we've labeled it to something not offensive. He's good, though. He's not a fucking pussy. He's just a pussy. But if we don't act quickly, he could be a fucking pussy. Uh, Henry fell often. Wait, okay. So he really is just like... Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, Henry. I like what I see. So he's like Sam Jackson in uh, Unbreakable. He's the opposite of Bruce Willis. He's the breakable one. But a boy. He's a boy, but if he falls down the subway stairs, he breaks everything. That's right. Okay. Compared to the other children, uh, he grew very slow. Okay. What does this even... Okay. And when he did grow, it caused him a great deal of pain. What's going on, Henry? I'm getting bigger again. (laughs) No! Henry, are you okay? Must be a full moon out tonight, mama. Look at my shoes. I don't want to get any. You're gonna, you're gonna end up being six feet tall. No, don't say that. <laughs> I'll pop through the house like Alice. Uh, when Henry was six, on a trip he's to see only his only five, and he's whining about growing. Uh, Bad news, son. When does it stop? <laughs> when Henry was six, on a trip to see his grandfather, he came down with scarlet fever. Okay. Good, good. That's good. the end. He died. Yeah. That's the end. Should be the end, yeah. Uh, which most, most children did not survive at the time, but somehow Henry did. Oh, I bet he wouldn't shut up the whole time, though. <laughs> if growing hurt, scarlet fever, he's like, ah! <laughs> um, 
Henry also had, quote, chronic indigestion or inflammatory rheumatism. <laughs> so, wait, okay. Rheum- so isn't rheumatism like... It doesn't... Yeah, it's the joints, right? So he has like, uh, he's got like child uh, I can't ar- have arthritis. anything spicy or my elbow will crack. He's got like, he's got like that common childhood arthritis that yeah, everyone has. Yeah, no, for sure. Are we sure there's not like a little 70-year-old living in his chest? <laughs> So that would mean he would have attacks uh, when he was highly stressed. He would come home and collapse onto the sofa. He would be, quote, suffering grievously. Henry was given prescribed restoratives, which would uh, bring him relief. So, yeah, cocaine, heroin. How's that not going to bring you relief? I mean, good for me. We could, yeah. I could go for some heroin. <laughs> Wouldn't Trump be easier if you were on heroin? Yeah. Henry went to Pittsburgh and landed a job at a department store and vowed to become a millionaire by the time he turned 30. They're <laughs> like, just stick to the shelves, asshole. We don't need. I got a job I... at a department store. I've got to be a millionaire. Excuse me, these don't fit. Okay, here you go. There's Thank you. Large over here. Ah, oh, much better. I'm growing, you see. <laughs> Been there. No. Uh, He was very good at his job. His employer commended him, particularly on his success in, quote, waiting upon lady customers. Mm, Okay. Mm, Yeah. For sure. uh, I think especially in this time, we're like, I don't like it. I, uh... Well, what does he do, Dave? What's his little angle? What's he working? I didn't get anything else. That's it? He's That's just, like, good find. with the lady customers? I figured he'd yeah, give him a little eye contact and maybe... <laughs> I and you don't know what? That's it? He looked bring at him, them? Bring him to orgasm? <laughs> I don't know how department stores work. I've never... I've All never right, I'll work here, but I'm not jacking anyone off. Never worked in one. I'll Hello. do everything else. What kind of shoes do you want, sir? Uh, I'm actually not here for shoes. I just use the bathroom, but don't stop. It's my first job. Got a great hand for it. I'm better with the ladies. Oh, no. It hurts. I'm growing. No! In 1869, he caught typhoid. Jesus, this kid's real... I mean, for the guy who whined after growing, he's really getting, like, some haymakers thrown his way. (laughs) It was considered a death sentence at the time, but once again, Henry survived. Uh Okay. After his grandfather hired him to do bookkeeping at the distillery, but a few months later, his grandfather died. Okay. Henry was left nothing in the will. Right, as as stipulated. (laughs) But he had a cousin in the Coke business. In the Coke business? In the cocaine business. No, it's a different kind of Coke. Coca-Cola business? No. Why don't you talk? (laughs) Let's do it that way. Coke is a fuel that is made by baking a soft coal in furnaces. Okay, because at the beginning it still sounded like cocaine. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It for sure is a fuel. Okay, yeah. Uh, Okay. It has a high carbon content and few impurities. In what? 
It has a high carbon content and, and last few part, impurities. In few impurities. impurities. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So Henry believed Coke had a lucrative future. And with four other men, he went into the Coke business. <laughs> I, I did it this way on purpose. Okay. He owned 20%. They had 300 acres of coal and 50 Coke ovens. Okay. <laughs> but Henry wanted to buy all the coal and all the Coke ovens possible. That, so, that's what Coke's like. <laughs> we should get it all. Let's just get all of it. No, we'll figure it out. We'll just get all of it right now and do it, man. <laughs> Ow, my bones. Um, so he got loans from Thomas Mellon, a uh, famous sure. banker, douchebag. Uh, uh, so Thomas Mellon was like, your idea is great, and just started giving him cash to, to buy up as much coal and, and Coke ovens as he could. And then the financial panic of 1873 came, and the price of Coke plummeted. So all of his partners were like, this is a bad fucking idea, so he bought their shares. Okay. Um, and then he just started buying up all the other people who were panicked about the business. Okay. Uh, and this is all being bankrolled by Mellon uh, loans. Sure, it's Mellon money. Mellon money. He made his money from Mel. Mel- Henry <laughs> New Steel was. When the- are you going to give up on the Coke and get involved in the Mellon game? Honey, do or honey, don't? I will not. No, no. Nope. No way. Come on, honey. Honey, no. (laughs) Henry New Steel was the key product in industrial development, and Coke was the key ingredient for making steel. Okay. In 1877, there was a railroad strike that affected shipments of Coke and coal, so Henry and a sheriff went to evict a striker who lived on Henry's property. It's so close to Coca-Cola. Okay. The striker refused to leave, so Henry and the deputy picked him up and threw him down an embankment into a creek. Is that okay to do to a nope. man? Okay. No, I don't think yeah, so. I was going to say, that I doesn't sound cool. I think that's not treating cool. a man well. Right, yeah. Then they threw all his belongings at him. That's nice. That's a better touch. Yeah. Turns out Henry Frick was not fond of laborers. Interesting. Sure, that won't come back to be a factor in this. <laughs> so when he turned 30, as was his goal, he had become a millionaire. Awesome. Yeah. What awesome. a great, what a great story. Awesome. What a great story to be 17 and be like, I want to be a millionaire. And then you're 30 and you are. You're a fucking psychopath millionaire. Yeah. Well, especially at 30 because that's like a third of the way through your life. Or like more than half of the way through your life at this point. So yeah. you know you're going to be a real prick. Yep. Uh, he solely owned H.C. Frick and Company. He employed 1,000 workers and controlled 80% of the coal output in Pennsylvania. Okay. So you did Monopoly, which is awesome. It's a fun game. We love Monopoly. I love the game. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. Uh, in 1879, Henry was uh, one of a number of very rich Pennsylvania mu- men who formed a secret club. Oh, shit. <laughs> Terrible news. All right. It was called the South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club. What a weird secret club. Hmm. I'm not sure what to make of these people. 
You guys know about the secret part? You're clapping a lot. It's not. Remember your oath. They bought. Drew blood by a fire, for God's sake. They bought land above uh, Johnstown. Okay. It had uh, a large lake that was created by a dam. Right, okay. it's an artificial lake. Sure. The dam was originally a reservoir. The club was uh, uh, the place for rich men in the area to enjoy all the wealth they had accumulated. Cool. Yeah. They picnic. Congress. They, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they picnic. They swam and fish. They, they smoked cigars. They relaxed. Oh boy. <laughs> this was said to be it's the got lar- a real catch me if you can vibe. It really does. Yeah. It's said to be the largest artificial body of water in the world. Mm. Uh, they modified the lake. They put a fish screen uh, across the spillway sure. so the fish couldn't get out, and then that would collect debris, which kind of makes a spillway not a spillway. And they lowered the dam uh, to build a road to make it more convenient for people going from the railroad station to the cottage, cottages on the lake. So it was the easiest way to you know, get across. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. put that down. Feels like a timeshare so far. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. So this is just his fun place that he goes to vacation. Yeah, sure. That's going to be fun. Um, he married Adelaide Childs in December 1881. She was 31. He was 22. Ooh, okay. So that's, uh, Celebrate. that's normal. Yeah. <laughs> um, they would have four kids, two would ha- who would live, you know, more than a couple days. <laughs> Standard. That's a good ratio, 50%. It's great, yeah, yeah. for sure. No. Anna Andrew Carnegie was another insanely rich man. Melon, my old boy! He owned Carnegie Steel, which was making $1,500,000 a year, which today would be $37 million. Okay. It's a lot. Meh. People loved Carnegie. Okay. Uh, he was from Scotland, but his thorough Americanization and enthusiastic patrioti- patriotism earned him the nickname the Star-Spangled Scotsman. Okay. <laughs> That's a dynamite image right there. God bless this mess. Perfect. That's right. Because, my boy, these fucking colors don't run. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Amend the bloody constitution. You go batty. You pushed it. One of Carnegie's managers named Captain Jones, whose job was to reduce costs, he came up with the eight-hour workday in the steel industry. Mm, because that's he, controversial. He discovered, we'll get away from that. Don't worry. Yeah. He discovered he found workers could work at a high pace for eight hours and then be ready to go again if they got 16 hours rest. Mm, I don't think he's right. No, actually, it's the other way around. I think people can go for 16 if you give them like four hours rest, something around there. Yeah. Yeah. So Carnegie went from a 12-hour workday to an eight-hour workday, and everyone celebrated it, not realizing the reason he did it was because he's a fucking asshole. So... Carnegie formed a business relationship with Henry, and soon H.C. Frickin' Company was the exclusive Coke supplier for all of Carnegie's steelworks. Okay. And Carnegie bought, Carnegie bought stock in H.C. Frick until he owned half. Um, so the two men did not really like each other. And yet Carnegie bought half of his Yeah, because it's a good business to be in. Right, okay. Uh, but they didn't really like each other. Car- Carnegie loved the limelight, and he preached about the rights of labor, which Henry hated. Okay. And Henry lacked humor, was ignorant of literature, science, or any region outside of the fucking Mahangana Valley. 
Mahangahela, Mahonahonghela, Monongela, Manongongala. No, you're all yelling it at once. That's not going to do you. Manongahela? It sounds like it sounds a little bit like you're singing Rubber Biscuit. Manonga mama. Do that again. Bow, bow, bow. You ever heard of a wish sandwich? <laughs> Carnegie also thought Henry was very socially uninteresting. Okay. Well, yeah, because he's like a bone whiner. <laughs> no! Bone Will you grab whiner. me some of that Chex Mix? Oh! Oh, you fucking bone whiner. No! Oh, to shrink. Charles Schwab said, said Henry was, quote... This is like a real who's who. <laughs> Hello, I'm Chuck Schwab. Charles Schwab said Henry was, quote, a curious and puzzling man. No man on earth could get close to him or fathom him. He seemed more like a machine <laughs> without emotion or impulse, absolutely cold-blooded. No one could fathom him. I can't wrap my head around this guy. Unfathomable gentleman. This is my friend, the machine. Hello, Dow. I like Coke. <laughs> so, uh, Carnegie's brother, Tom, died, and uh, then Carnegie allowed Henry to buy 11% of stock in Carnegie Steel. Okay. This made him chairman of the board, and he was made president. Carnegie wrote to Henry, quote, Take supreme care of that head of yours. It is wanted. Again, expressing my thankfulness that I have found the man. I am always yours, AC. What is going on? What? These guys are going to fuck. That's what. Okay. That's what. I was hoping it was going that way. Carnegie is There's one bone that doesn't hurt when it grows. Get over here, you lump. Let's just... Let's just, let's just say it. It's not, it's not in here. It hasn't been written anywhere in history, but it's clearly true that Carnegie pegged Henry Frick. <laughs> clearly. And he pegged him because he couldn't get hard on himself, so he put on a... On May 31st... Yeah, it is weird. May 31st, 1889, at 4 p.m., after a high snow melt and 10 days of heavy rainfall... The dam at the South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club collapsed. Okay. 20 million tons of water were released. Oh, shit. (laughs) Not a little bit. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of water. Yeah. A 60-foot wall, 60-foot high wall of water. Okay, so we're really talking about an increase. That's... (laughs) Yeah, compared to nothing. Right. Yeah. Uh... Moving 40 miles an hour. Jesus. Rushed down and crushed the town of Johnstown. Okay. 1,400 buildings were destroyed. Debris built up against a stone bridge, including several tanks of oil and fuel, which then burst into flames. Can I just ask real quick, are you sure these numbers aren't made up for political reasons? (laughs) 
I'm going to need to see the bodies. That's fair. We'll bring them by. Thank you. 80 people were burnt alive. Oh, shit. 80 people were burnt alive during yeah. a flood. Yeah. When you be like, couldn't Not I have how drowned? you think you're going to go. Couldn't I have drowned? Why am I in fire? It's a river. Water, hurry. Not there. No. Get up on the house. No, not the house. <laughs> the fire burned for five days. What? The flood killed 2,209 people. Holy shit. 10% of the town's population. Bodies were found as far away as Cincinnati. (laughs) Which is 400 miles away. It's quite a surf. And yet fishing that summer was great in Cincinnati. We caught another big human fish. (laughs) Boy, they're biting. Is that a sturgeon or a bob? Another farmer. Boy. Sturgeon aren't freshwater fish. So I fucked that up. Yeah, no, I'm sure the 1% of the audience is like, what is he talking about? Oh, no, there's some fishing asshole out here who was like, what the fuck is this shit? Well, if this dude came for fishing humor, he's got a negative attitude, and I don't like it. Sturgeon in a lake. (laughs) Now I'm laughing. Get the hell out of here. So the South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club formed a committee to help the flood victims. Right on time. It was called the Pittsburgh Relief Committee. Okay. Uh, at the same time, they made a pact to never speak publicly about the club or the flood. <laughs> why, is it gotta, why does that have to be on the DL? That feels like you're trying to help, right? Nope. Okay. Henry and Carnegie's companies donated $15,000 to the relief fund. And what? That's nice. And the it's... South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club donated $3,000. Oh, so altogether, $18,000. That'll do it. The cost and damages was over $17 million. Right. <laughs> right. So, yeah. It's a great start. What do you want to do? You want to piss on them or give them a little bit of money? You want to give them some money or piss on them? Give them money while pissing on them. Somehow. <laughs> I love being rich. Oh, my God. We killed so many people. Where should we put a new club? <laughs> so, people sued the club because... On of- what grounds? These peasants? They grifted together enough coppers to get a lawyer? Some dime shop attorney? Look, I mean, two, over 2,000 people died. <laughs> well, moo. We donated $17,000. Two of my babies died. I didn't sue my wife. <laughs> This is a tsunami. <laughs> fuck you, sir. Get the fuck out of here. Go catch a sturgeon. <laughs> so, a couple of the club members just happen to, happen to be lawyers, and so they, they fought all the lawsuits. 
The club claimed they only lowered the dam by one foot when they built the road, okay. and that the flood was an act of God. Oh, well, that should hold up, yeah. That would hold up now. Yeah. <laughs> All the people who sued lost. This caused some of them to go bankrupt. Henry, Carnegie, and the other rich men got off scot-free. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, fuck yeah, finally. <laughs> Finally, little guy's not getting one over this guy. No way. Nice try, little guy. Though Henry's life wasn't perfect, his daughter Martha had been ill since she was two. Oh, my God, imagine. Her illness became chronic, and no one knew what was causing it. Now, he's got all the money in the world, so he's taking her all the doctors. No one can figure this out. Yeah, well, in this time, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're like, I don't know, she's hot. She and, has uh, a dragon in her stomach, and um, he is cut angry. it out. Have you tried putting tons of beetles in her mouth? Yes. We will fill her with beetles, and that will eat the infection inside of your daughter. After that, we're going to have to drown her. It's a long shot. So when she was four, a nurse noticed a small wound on Martha's right side that was oozing pus. Wait, how? So, okay, is that new, or is that... Okay, so okay, so she's just leaking. She's leaking. She's little, got a valve. She's a leaking girl. Right. That happens. Sure, yeah. You just all of a sudden have a little... You got a hole. You got a leak. Yeah. Sometimes you no, spring a leak. No, for sure. You just have a little no opening one... that pus yeah. is coming out. You get out. A, side, a side... I've had that. You get yeah. a side leak. No, no, yeah. You're like a box of wine. I get it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then she looked close, uh, and she found a pin coming through the wound. Okay, this is now taking a weird turn. Well, when welcome. you say pi- okay, welcome to witchcraft. <laughs> Martha, it turns out, had swallowed a pin when she was two years old, and it had slowly worked its way through her body. Shut up! Shut for two years, no. leaving a trail of destruction, and then been like, "I'm going out the side." Is that true? Yeah, no, that's true. That's what happened. She swallowed a pin, yeah, and so for she's years a fu- she was tortured. Number one, she's a fucking idiot. <laughs> Number one, she's a fucking idiot. Number two, they didn't have x-rays. <laughs> so that thing just wound its way. Just, like, I assume just, like, poking through... Like, it's a needle, so it's just going through. It's well, it not might have, like, like cross-stitched a little on the way down. Might have cross-stitched. Might have done some cross-stitches. On July 29th, 1891, she died before her sixth birthday. Henry was devastated. Like a good capitalist, he put her likeness on his checks. (laughs) (laughs) Just. Perfect, man. What a great way. You're a fucking monster. No. If you put, if your daughter dies and you're like, well, what's the best way I can remember her? No, well, he finally values her. What about when I pay people money? Yeah. <laughs> so they can all see my daughter. Yeah. I'm a capitalist. <laughs> money, 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 money. Okay. All right, so that so. made me feel less sorry for him. <laughs> Plus, he just killed 2,000 people. Uh, he can feel a little grief himself. And she was an she was an idiot. So I, pa- I all right, okay, settle down. She was just fucking dumb. She was, she was two dumb. and ate a she pin. She was dumb. She was dumb. My she kid ate never pin. ate a pin. My kid never ate a pin. 
You don't he's know that. Nine. He's like a. He's. he's he might have eaten a just, pen. He's just half normal. Like he's not. He's not a genius, but he's not a pen eater. I, I, there's a good chance I ate a pen as a boy, so <laughs> for sure. Oh, one of those big ones too. One of those like long needles. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. nan used to use. Also, don't leave pins around. What the fuck is happening in this house? You got a, a baby crawling <laughs> yeah. around. You're like, oh, leave the pin cushion out. Oh, <laughs> she likes to sleep on it. It probably wasn't the only one. There were probably like forty in there, and just one came out this side. Yeah. Help us! <laughs> They're all leaking pins. So in 1892, Henry Frick bought an iron ore company and then railroads, a fleet of six steamers. The company now owned its mines, dug its own ore, loaded it onto its own steamers, landed it at its own ports, transported it on its own railroads, distributed its its blast furnaces, and smelted it with coke brought from its own coal mines and ovens with limestone brought from its own quarries. so Sounds they, like a monopoly. A yeah, they have a pretty good handle on a lot of the process. Yeah, they kind of locked everything down. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's Amazon. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> In the winter of 1891, Carnegie bought the Homestead Mill. Whoa. <laughs> Eerie. He appointed Henry as his second in command, knowing Henry was intensely anti-labor. Okay. The Amalgamated Association of Iron and Steel Workers, the AA, was a union that formed in 1876. Yeah? All right. There had been an ugly violent strike in January 1882, but the union held out and won a complete victory. I don't know if you guys know. A lot changes. But it doesn't end well. Yeah, it changes. It does, yeah, it changes hang a lot. In, hang in there. I don't even know about this story, but yeah. in our there was world. another strike in July 1889. Again, the union won. Okay. The union now it appeared to be in complete control of the Homestead Mill. Membership doubled. Cash on hand grew to $146,000. Okay. They're fucking killing it. Yeah. The work was brutal. Social Darwinist. Herbert Spencer said that, quote, a week in the Pittsburgh mills would be enough to make a sane man commit suicide. Okay. <laughs> it's a social Darwinist? Yeah. That's kind of a lame title, by the way. That's a hard guy to root for. No, I'm a social Darwinist. Well, I assume he didn't make a lot of money. That's a hard job. <laughs> yeah, it's, a lot of it's on spec. Excuse me, do you need a social Darwinist? Absolutely not. In this economy, No. I could hang out with you and let you know who's the alpha. I can tell you stuff. No. Darwin. Who gives a shit? Works with society. My kids are leaking pins. I don't have time for this. That's actually part of... I don't care. Leave. Because if you eat a pin... uh, If you eat a pin uh, what? Darwin would say... What would he say? That's a fucking idiot. Yeah, okay, get the fuck out of here. Leave here. Have you thought about not leaving pins around for your kids to eat? Yeah, I've thought about it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. All right. Just. It sounds like, like you might need a social Darwinist. Yeah. No, I do not. Okay. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> okay. The union agreement reached in uh, July, in 1889 was ending on July 1st, 1892. Henry thought this would be his chance to deal the union 
a blow because they kept winning. In 92. Yeah, so right. the contract's up, right? So he's okay. going right. to take it to him. Take yeah. it to him. Democracy. That's right. Yeah. The steel business was in decline as another capitalist bubble was about to burst the next year. Henry and Carnegie saw labor as the place to keep profits coming in. Mm-hmm. So Henry focused on reducing wages of, of 326 out of the 3,800 workers at the company. The company was making $5 million a year. Mm-hmm. What Henry I mean, would, you know, so he's pretty broke. He, he's, he's fighting over their wages, okay. and what Henry was fighting over would save the company $20,000 a year. <laughs> yeah, so it's important. It's important. Yeah, it's important to do this. Carnegie then posted a notice to all employees. It explained there would be a merger of the three mills, including the Homestead Mill. The newly created Carnegie Steel would be non-union. The company planned to let the current agreement expire. Then Carnegie went to Europe. What? <laughs> Farewell, fuck faces! Woo! USA! 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 He told Henry he could handle the situation. You'll anyway. figure it out, you're resourceful. You live a good little time. Carnegie wanted the union crushed. He just wasn't going to say it publicly. He believed it got in the way of efficiency. Henry asked the union to take a 22% reduction in wages. Cool. Normal request. So let's go from there. How'd they take it? Uh, They hung him in effigy. Oh, my God. (laughs) Jesus Christ. These negotiations are not going well. Well, they don't seem to... Who is that out there? My God, that's me. Uh... Oh, I'm on fire now. (laughs) Who knew they could paper mache so well? (laughs) But still, the 20% is just for those workers. It's still just $20,000 that he's trying to save. Yeah, which is, yeah. Cables between Henry and Carnegie show Carnegie didn't care much about the strike. He was more concerned about Henry buying an an orchestrion. Orchestrion? Orchestrion? Uh, it's like a space orchestra? Space orchestra. We are orchestrion. We are space symphony. When we unite in eight pieces in one, we become orchestrion. That's right. That's what he's buying. Gonna picture the mighty Morphin Power Rangers if that's cool with everybody. So, an orchestrion was a self-playing musical device. It had musical instruments like organ pipes, trumpets, trombones, flutes, and piccolos. What, what is happening? It's just... What is it? It's just it's, a ball of instruments that rolls around and makes... It's just a thing... It's like that, a Dick Van Dykeless music-making machine. It's just a bunch of instruments. It's a bunch of instruments that looks like a cartoon band fight? Yes. And they play themselves. How the fuck do they play themselves? They're just sitting there, the guitar's trumpeting, the trumpet's harping. Yeah, I mean... What? It's just a brass and string instrument orgy? Not just brass and string. I mean, there's a lot. What the fuck is it? How does it work? I don't know. Well, what is it? It's, do you have a picture of one? Bring it up. 
It's big. It better be. Oh, look at your tattoos. Yeah. Oh, shit, it is really big. It is. It's really fucking big. It looks like a dumbass organ. That's what I'll say. It's it is. like a fan. Oh, look at all that shit. Yeah, that's a lot of yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot going on there. Oh, my God. But yeah, who's yeah, playing yeah. it? Someone's okay. got to play Nobody it. Nobody plays it. It does it on its own. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So it somehow is just a haunted music teacher's office. That's right. It would cost Henry... $6,100. Why is he getting it again? I'm so deep he down. He wants one. Oh, just for shits and gigs? Yeah. Okay. Remember, he's fighting over $20,000. He wants the $6,000 music <laughs> machine for his house. Oh, I bloody need it. Oh, it's not a want. It's a need. <laughs> now, Carnegie, who everyone thinks is pro-labor, never talked about the strike. Carnegie wrote that it would, quote, the, or... or <laughs> Oh, what? He's got high hopes for it? He wrote that it would give great pleasure and be a marvel in Pittsburgh. So he's just excited that Henry's going to buy this new thing. Right, okay. They were, uh, they were, this is what they were discussing while they fought the labors over $20,000. Uh-huh, yeah, no, that's fine. That's regular ivory tower chit-chat. Yeah. Hmm. In May, Henry made it very clear he was preparing for a strike because he had a 12-foot-tall fence topped with barbed wire built around the perimeter of the mill. Man, the second a fence with barbed wire like, starts getting built, that's when you're like, we got to move, something's up. Yeah. Make a move now. Uh, it was a 600-acre uh, perimeter wow. that he built it around. There were also peepholes built in the fence so rifles could be put through. Oh, I thought, th- I thought so that the peasants could sort of be like orphans at a fogged-up window at a Christmas dinner. <laughs> Is that ham? Oh, what I wouldn't give for a slice. But instead, it's to kill them. Yeah, it's to kill... I thought it was uh, maybe a way for them to just watch the music man no. roll around in his musical no. orgy time machine. That, that sounds great, but these holes are for killing humans. Right, better. Humans who want money yeah. when they were twenty thousand dollars, mind Just you. Fuck off! Yeah. Why can't we have slaves? Yeah, well, I've said yeah a little early on that one. I guess. Uh. Sometimes you string me along. I'm holding your hand, like yeah. Well, he said slavery. So, uh, by June, he had built observation towers. <laughs> This is it's all good. He's building a jail, right? He's building a jail. Yeah, he's building a musical jail. <laughs> he's just building, yeah, he's built jail the musical. The workers started calling Homestead Fort Fricks. Frick. Fort, Fort Frick. Fr- okay, right. Henry told workers that he would not negotiate and they should not expect conditions to improve. So, so okay. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. Uh-huh. I built a fort, and uh, you get nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but have you ever heard a ukulele drum? <laughs> Be honest. <laughs> yes, sir. Get me one. <laughs> yes, Frick. He wrote to Robert Pinkerton of the Pinkerton Agency. Oh, the, good the, guy good, to, the good guys are a good here. guy to reach out to. <laughs> hey, we're looking for some tactical shifts. You came to the right place. Have you bought a drum yano? <laughs> You're on the right track if you have. 
Quote, we will want 300 guards for service at our homestead mills as a measure of prevention so against interference with our plan to start the operations of the works on July 6, 1892. These guards should be assembled not later than the morning of July 5th. But surely, fencing materials, peepholes, guard towers, Pinkerton security guards has to cost more than what you're bitching no, no, 20, over for... No, no, you're saving 20 grand. No, but it's... It could not be more penny-wise, dollar-foolish. You're like, well, careful, they're trying to get 20 grand. Let's spend a million to stop them. But there's also something joyous about seeing the life go out of a laborer's eyes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if you've, ever, if you've ever seen, like, sometimes I'll go down to an Amazon factory and I'll... Oh, you got to go to the peepholes. And, I'll, and I'll, take a, I'll take a stack of money and I'll light it on fire in front of them. And I watch, I watch them slowly die. And I think, this, this, is what it, this is what it's all about. Yeah. This is what America is. So if you've never seen, like, a human give up hope, I don't think you understand what he's doing. Right. Yeah. Cue the geek accordion. So the union called for a strike on June 29th, 1892. On what grounds again? They don't, they want to be able to Oh, all the bullshit. Right, yes, right. 2,000 steel workers barricaded the front to stop non-union members from entering. So there's there's union and non-union guys at the factory. There's actually more non-union guys that work at the factory than union guys. Okay. The plant was on the Monohamama River. (laughs) We did this earlier. Monogonalala. Nope, I did it. Monogonalala. Monogam. The men started patrolling the river, right? The union guys. Okay. Patrolling the river. That night, the union guys tried to talk the non union guys into honoring the strike. Okay. A non union guy asked what would happen if they didn't want to leave, and a union man yelled back, Come out anyway, or if you don't, you'll have to be a rapid runner. Hmm. So that insinuates. Yep, probably you should not life work. jeopardy. Yep. Yeah. At 9 p.m., the non-union workers left the mill and work stopped. Okay. Uh, so they're on board. They're on board. Right. Okay. Even the mayor uh, is a union mill worker, and he and he's on strike. The mayor's working in the mill. Yeah. Okay. Nice. It's that kind of town. Sure. Strikers were posted all over to sound an alarm if scabs were seen heading towards the mill. Okay. Henry asked a company to retrofit two barges with a floating dormitory, a mess hall, and a food preparation area. Wait, on his little, can- his little bunker thing? No, a barge. It's on, he's, he's, gotten two oh. bar- he's bought two barges, okay. and he's having them, he putting dorms on them. Okay. Okay. So yep. he's, right, opening a high school. <laughs> well, college. Boat you! The strikers assumed the barges would be used to house scabs. The strikers started to organize in a military manner. 4,000 men were divided into three groups or divisions headed by commanders, and below the commanders were eight captains. Okay. The U.S. Navy officials were concerned about delays in steel deliveries, which would cause delays on ships being built. Right. Can't have that. No. The Union believed that the Navy contracts would make the company cave in. Okay. And Benjamin Harrison, President uh, Benjamin Harrison, sent a message to Carnegie, Carnegie and Henry and told them to fix the, the mess. On July 4th, Henry sent a coded cable to Carnegie in London. Quote, Carnegie, Morgan, London. 
Small pond pony plunge repairing. Pond pony choke watchman arrive. Plunge morning board early. <laughs> so was he just sitting on the, the cable? I assume that's about the... Pond, 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 purge. I assume that's about the big musical device. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, you call the guy over to fix that. He's like, oh, shit. I got to call some friends. I don't know. <laughs> Henry had asked the sheriff of uh, the, uh, county, the county to protect the company's property. On July 5th, Sheriff McCleary arrived at Union headquarters with two deputies. He was surprised the union was super agreeable, even, even offered to assist keeping the peace, saying he could deputize 500 union men. We <laughs> <laughs> so, right. got a lot of guys who could be sheriffs here. Uh, if that's what you're looking for, we can. Uh, totally... I don't know. That's the right yeah, angle. Yeah. We're all, uh, we all be sheriffs. Okay, all right. Yep. Well, it went pretty good. I went and talked to them outside. Uh-huh. They're pretty cool guys. All sheriffs. So 500 of them are sheriffs now. Yeah. yeah turned them all into sheriffs. What? Yeah, like a wizard. Those are the guys I'm trying to keep They're out. They're all sheriffs. One of them's above me. And <laughs> this guy, really good. Really good. He's great. You're not good at this. I know, which is why this guy's going to actually probably take the reins in a great direction. <laughs> you got to hear this guy talk. He is a charmer. <laughs> I'm on board. And will be, I should turn around and get the hell out of Dodge. Good to catch up. That the pin, hell that, is that? That pin come out of your daughter yet? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a tense moment. You could hear a... Uh... <laughs> I should get out of here. Uh... Too soon? So the sheriff said he didn't see any, any problems, but he would still need to send men. He went back to Pittsburgh to get more men. Okay. At 6 p.m. came word that deputies were coming on a train to uh, set up at Fort Frick. 2,000 men gathered at the rail station. Off the train stepped the sheriff's deputy and six other officers. The sheriff's so the 2,000 dep- who, who are there are like the union? Yeah. Okay, right. Okay. Um, uh, off the train, right? The, yeah. chi- the chief deputy said he was going. Uh, he was going to the steelworks, and the union men were very riled up. The man raised his hand to quiet them and told the chief deputy to follow him to union headquarters. There, the union committee members explained to the deputies that they had a choice: that they could leave safely or not safely. <laughs> hmm. And the deputies were like. Oh, we'll we'll do the safely thing, and and they left. All right, same seats. <laughs> <laughs> so now Henry believed he tried the legal channels, and that didn't oh, work. Oh no! So Wait, now he, he hasn't had, though. Now, well, he brought he tried to send the sheriffs, and the sure. sheriffs were sent away. Uh huh. So now he thinks he has the right to bring in the Pinkertons. It seems okay. Which is weird because he had already messaged the Pinkertons. Yeah. So it's almost like he had set it up because they were already boarding the retrofitted barges ten miles downstream mm, river from Homestead. Interesting. Okay. The sheriff deputized the Pinkertons. They were armed with 300 pistols, 200 Winchesters. Oh, what the fuck's a Winchester? Uh, it's a rifle. It's a windbreaker. Oh, no, sorry. Go it's a windbreaker. <laughs> They've got windbreakers. All right, good, good. And guns. All right. You get to choose one. I'm not an idiot. Windbreaker. How's the wind's pretty bad? Wind's yeah, bad. Pretty You're going to need it to awful. break. 
This will break it because it's got holes here and in the back. Yeah, it's a windbreaker. Exactly what it is. Thank you. Yep. It's like a parachute shirt. It's a parachute. Anyway, I'm taking two. <laughs> no, no, no. I love the things. Yeah, no. Okay, just the one. All righty. <laughs> no fun. A spotter saw the barges and whistled at the Union, and a whistle at the Union was blown, warning everyone there was an invasion happening. By 4 a.m., the riverbanks were packed with thousands of workers and citizens of the town. The crowd consisted not only of men, but of women who were armed with clubs. Nice. Nice. Ladies. Ladies, what's up? Nice. They just After... start clubbing their husbands. No! Because Jesus! No, no. Hey, after you're done using that on Pinkerton, you want to peg me? (laughs) As the barges made their way to shore, shots were fired. Union leader O'Donnell called for calm, but it was pointless. When the barges arrived, the strikers warned the Pinkertons not to get off. Okay, and? O'Donnell hushed the crowd and yelled, quote, In the name of God and humanity, don't attempt to land. Don't attempt to enter these works by force. The Pinkerton captain responded, quote, We were sent here to take possession of this property and to guard it for the, his company. We don't wish to shed blood. If you men don't withdraw, we will mow every one of you down and enter in spite of you. How do you say you don't want to draw blood right before that? Yeah, yeah. That's actually That's contradictory. Not true. We, don't we don't want to draw blood, but we're willing to kill all of you immediately. Well, mow down, like it's like, a, we don't want to draw blood, but we'll, we, we'll, if we have to, mow down is a whole different sort of... Yeah, that's a, the most blood. Yeah. All, all the blood. All, all the, the blood. blood. All of all the, the blood. blood. We don't want to draw blood. We want all of your blood. So the Pinkers put down a gangplank. Okay. And then a striker laid down on it. Interesting. So it's interesting and then move. a Pinker, Pinkerton man tried to shove him aside... And the guy who was laying down shot him, hitting, guy, the, hitting the Pinkerton in the thigh. So the striker had a gun on him, and when the Pinkerton went to push him, he was like, bang! Even bolder! Yeah, okay. I just this, I wish this had been like, and then he shot him in the dick. But he didn't yeah, shoot him in the so dick. so close, though. But he shot him in the thigh. So much better. And then the shooting started. Well, that started. William Foy, a striker, was wounded. The striker shot and hit the commander of the Pinkertons, Captain Hind. The Pinkertons opened fire into the crowd, killing two and injuring 11. The crowd shot back, killing two and wounding 12 Pinkertons. The shooting continued for 10 minutes. Uh, the, tugboats that were, the tugboat that was towing the barges had wounded agents on board and pulled away, leaving the barges. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Wait, wait, hey, hey, hey! Bye-bye, bye! No! Bye. Hey, no! We got a guy in here that's got a no, little... we're in a lot of trouble! It's like a flesh wound. He's got a little tick. He Fuck, got they're going to the... kill us! I know, but Larry got hit right here on the arm. It's true. Look, look right there. Yeah, it's like a scratch. Oh, my God. See you later, Pinkertons. Son of a bitch. Good luck on your dorm boat. I'm going to kill you if I find you, tug boy. Okay. If you find me, I have to come back and get you to pull you out. What? So you can't leave without me. Oh, I see what you did there. Bye. Yeah. So awkward to have an argument on a boat. You never asked how Larry was. I don't care about Larry. I could see his elbow. Ow! Not, yeah. Ah! That's Larry. It's all closing in. I see my grandparents. It's just scratch. Shh. I want to act. I want to dance. 
Only there was an instrument. So the strikers took cover behind scrap iron. The Pinkertons went below deck and cut holes in the sides of the barges so they could shoot from almost total safety. Okay. Hundreds of women stood on the banks of the river and chanted, kill the Pinkertons. (laughs) I mean, let's just make the movie just because of that. That's that's the fucking scene alone. Yeah, yeah. So great. The mayor asked the townspeople to help defend the peace. This brought 5,000 more people to the hills above the mill. A 20-pound brass cannon across the river started being fired at the barges. Oh, boy. Those barges really got left in the dust. They really got screwed. Yeah, the tugboat. It's the tugboat shooting at them. Hey! (laughs) That's from Larry, motherfucker! I almost died! Tugboat's circling back again. In Pittsburgh, thousands of steelworkers prepared to head to Homestead to help. At 8 a.m., the Pinkertons tried to get off the barges, which just led to more shooting at the Pinkertons. Sure, yeah, you can't leave. They also tried to shoot their way out, and they killed four strikers. But now the Pinkertons started jumping off the barge and trying to swim away. Oh, my God. Not good. I mean, this no, tugboat really screwed them. It is good, the, but it's not... I love not... the Pinkertons getting <laughs> shot at and jumping in the river. It is good, but Better it's not if they good if you're hit. a Pinkerton. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. if it's a Pinkerton, but who gives a fuck if you're a Pinkerton? Did they wear pink? Yeah, they had pink shirts. They did have pink shirts? Yep. Are you lying to me? <laughs> you're lying to me, because I'm picturing now like kind of pink security guards, like yep. candy cane security guards. Yeah, they were dressed all in pink. Mm. They were naked. Mm. <laughs> As the battle raged on, the uh, AA Union was trying to end it and asked the sheriff to request a meeting with Henry Frick. So in the middle of all the shooting and the killing, they're like, can we get a fucking meeting to end this? And, right. and Henry uh, Frick was like, no. Cool guy. No, this is cool good. Cool guy. He knew if things got worse, the governor would send in the militia, and if the militia came, the strike would be done. Wow, this dude. It's good. It's yeah, a good man. No, yeah. At 10.50 a.m., the tug returned to get the barges. Hey! <laughs> Woo! Good news, bad Hi. news. How have you guys been? What are you talking about, how have we been? We've been getting shot out here like frogs. Since you didn't ask, Larry's fine. I don't care. He looked fine when you ditched us. He went to the doctor and got a bandage and... I don't care. This is why we left. (laughs) This is exactly... It's this attitude that's not great. Tie yourself to us now, tugboat. No. Why did you come back to gloat, you little asshole? Say hi and see if your attitude had changed. You still have a very bad attitude. Okay. You remind me of a girl who ate a pin. That's what you're like. Pin girl. I'm going to kill you, tugboat captain. Well, you have to get, you have to get off the barge. So You are such a sassy little captain. <laughs> I am going to strangle you when I get off here. Do you understand me? Yeah, sure. Okay. See you later. Oh, my God. If, if you fucking come back here. Bye. Oh, just so the dancing. tug comes back. Everyone shoots back at the tug, and the tug, <laughs> like, and the tugboat's like, "Okay, the, um, no, we're leaving again." It just took off. It's like, no, that's not worth it. You know, 
We can say we tried. We can say we tried, and uh, it didn't happen. It's like so the idea fine. of like smoky U-turns in the water. Oh God, he is unbelievable. <laughs> Later. Where's he going? Just away. <laughs> Love to get an update. So now the strikers were up on high ground. They had 300 rifles, and they were just shooting at the barges. Okay. They killed a Pinkerton around noon. Then the strikers decided to light the barges on fire. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, clearly, uh, this audience yeah. is uh, Pro on Pinkerton. the side of the strikers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm they on the s- side of the tugboat, which is a small sect. <laughs> But I've found a little niche for myself. I'm pro tugboat. <laughs> so, so the strikers sent a raft covered in oil-soaked timber. Oh, my God. Help's on the way, but they're on fire. There's no help. That's wood. Fuck! <laughs> they set it on fire and pushed it toward the barges. The Pinkertons <laughs> freaked... <laughs> If only we had some water. All the Pinkertons start freaking out, and the captain threatened to shoot any agent that ran off. But the raft ended up burning itself out before it got to the barge. Okay. That's a fun sort of like... Sorry I yelled at you all back there. I uh, didn't mean a word of it. So then they they loaded a flat car, right? So uh, uh, not uh, not a river... uh, uh, Thing, a thing for land, right? A, cl- uh, uh-huh. a flat a, car. A flat car, like a train car. Yeah. Okay. We invented the car, and in a more interesting news, it shall be your demise. And they um, loaded it up with oil drums. Though, but now, is that flammable back then? Yep. Okay. They set them on fire. Okay. And then they pushed the car, so it's flying down the rail towards the wharf and the barges. <laughs> So they've essentially set up like a real life fiery mouse trap for yeah, yeah. the barges yeah, yeah. where you just slowly get to be like, oh. Well, now. That now, ain't good. Now it's like. Mad, Don't hit the marble. It's, now it's like Mad Max. Yeah. That's what we have at this point. It always point. has been. <laughs> but the car, the flat car stopped at the edge of the river and just burnt out. <laughs> Man, if you're on the barge, you're like, another nail biter. Okay, we need a plan. So they got dynamite. Oh, no. What? <laughs> okay. And now what? And they started lighting the dynamite and throwing it at the barges. Interesting. You got to love it when, like, plan C always seems to be the one where it's like, throw. <laughs> but they only hit the barge once, and it did almost no damage whatsoever. Okay. So next they poured oil into the river... Hoping what? to light it on fire. They are trying to create, like, a trail towards it with oil? Yeah, but they couldn't... And this is before Under Siege came out. Am I yeah. wrong? Yeah. yeah, okay. But they couldn't light the oil on fire. They couldn't light the slick on fire. Okay, and now, what's next? They put dynamite in a duck and taught it to swim. At 4 p.m., 5,000 men from surrounding works, Pittsburgh and elsewhere, arrived at homesteads. Now there's more dudes. Oh, good. More, more dynamite arms. <laughs> the president of the uh, union was pleading with Henry to talk to union reps, but he wouldn't. He was also trying to get the crowds to calm down 
but they started blasting Fourth of July fireworks toward the barges. <laughs> now, do you mean they were dipping into their Fourth of July supply of fireworks? Well, it's after. It's right after Fourth of July. I mean, okay, they've got to so stack just... the shit they but didn't the light up. But the leftovers off. of the Fourth of July, that's just like sparklers and snakes. Yeah, it's not great. So that's just like... <laughs> it's not the good stuff. We're going to fire a Roman candle at these bastards, show them what's up, then hit them with some black cats. Yeah. And the pigger is like, this is beautiful. Uh, they're enjoying the shit. God damn it. At 5 p.m., the Pinkertons raised a white flag. Okay. It was over after 13 hours. <laughs> and okay. As the Pinkertons came off the barge, their guns were taken away, as well as their hats. <laughs> Dave... You can disarm a man, but you shouldn't dishonor a man. (laughs) Let a man have some pride and keep his goddamn hat on. Can't I have any dignity? Ah, it hurts! Ah! 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 He's dead. (laughs) Nice try, asshole. The Pickerton's are walked between two rows of strikers. People threw stones Awkward. at them, yeah. spit at them, uh-huh. and severely beat them. Well, you know, a hat could stop two out of three of those. Yep. So. The strikers boarded the barges, looted them, and then set them on fire. Finally. <laughs> Finally. That's the right order, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't want to fire, then loot. Uh, the Pinkertons were handed over to the sheriff, who put them on a train back to Pittsburgh. All, all for twenty grand. For twenty grand. All for twenty. So we got a bunch of dead people, uh, burned barges. Uh-huh. 20, 20, 20 grand. Uh huh. Yeah. The next day at ten a.m., Sheriff McCleary sent a telegram to the governor begging for state intervention. The governor responded by demanding that the sheriff first do everything that he could to restore the peace. Two hours later, the sheriff telegrammed again, asking for assistance. And at 3 p.m., the governor told the sheriff to recruit his own troops. So the governor's helpful. He's not... He's just at mar lago I think he like, wants... <sighs> I'm not... I don't know what the governor was, but it sounds like he doesn't... An asshole. Well, but no, but he doesn't want to send his own troops because he knows once his troops are sent, he knows what it means. Like he has what does to, it mean? He's got to fuck up the strikers. I don't think... It sounds like he doesn't want to. This is all to just break up the striker situation that has formed now that the Pinkertons are gone. Yeah. Okay. The governor had assembled troops on July 6th when the fighting started, but he had not yet chosen to use them. He was worried the townspeople were involved and sending the militia would lead to a massacre. Okay. Right. Which happens. Sure, yeah, no. Yeah. That's what they say. Never, I mean, never, obviously not now, because we're great, but... No. But yeah. on July 12th, the Pennsylvania state militia arrived. They were now, there were now 6,000 troops surrounding the mill. Company officials were back to work by 10 a.m. the next day. Scabs were brought in and housed on mill grounds. The furnaces were lit two days later. Okay. Homestead, yeah. Homestead was placed under martial law. The company pressed charges against 16 of the strike leaders for conspiracy, riot, and murder. The union charged executives with murder. 
Eventually, a compromise was reached where all parties dropped charges. Uh, I thought everybody was going to be accused of murder to compromise. We're all murderers. How about a compromise where we're all murderers? Uh, Let me talk firsthand. We're all. We all go to jail. Hank, we'll go through a plan we actually came up with. Hank, we'll do a whole... We have to have sex with other men. Okay, I'm going to actually... I'm going to stop you right there. I shank a guard for looking at me weird. Did you say you shank? I shank one. Shank. We we all go to jail for murder. We're actually none of us are going to get charged is the way that we're going to go with it. So next time, I'll talk first. We're going to need your hat and badge. I, this is not what I was picturing. I, I, I write uh, uh, mm-hmm. sex stories. Okay, let's stop you right there. And, Again, I'm uh, stopping you and you're still I going. Have in my so mind. So I'm stopping you a lot and you're still talking through my stop. And that's, I outrank you. One stop. in my mind stop is about a bunch your of, sex stories. A bunch I'm of murder kidding. jets I'm not kidding. in a yard. Right. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, 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 No more words out of that mouth. Someone. Hey, 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 you just said one more word, none. Has a whipped cream cannon. Shut your mouth. Shut up. Shut up. Hank, Hank. No shirts. Hank, 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 Hanky, Hank, Hank. Stop. No more. I'm negotiating. You're not. No, no, we've already come up with a solution. You're talking about whipped cream. No, okay, all right. Many Don't. <laughs> a lot of the non-union, uh, the new non-union uh, workers were black, which led to a race war <laughs> I was in just, the mill yeah. between non-union black and white workers on July 22nd. So oh. let's just throw in a race war. And with a side of a race war. Uh, the next day, Henry Frick was meeting with Carnegie Steel Vice President, the Carnegie Steel Vice President, in his Pittsburgh office when a Russian anarchist, Alexander Berkman, barged in. Yes, we have a hero. And he's Russian. He was holding a ro- revolver and a sharpened steel file. You pick. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this, right or left? Hello. Berkman shot at nearly point-blank range. A bullet went through Henry's earlobe and hit him in the neck at the base of the skull, skull, and the bullet lodged in his back. Oh, shit. Henry went down on the ground, and Berkman fired a second time, hitting Henry in the neck again. This wound started bleeding profusely. Uh, the Carnegie Steel vice president grabbed Berkman uh, by the arm, stopping him from firing again. Henry somehow managed to help the VP tackle Berkman to the ground. Jesus. As the three men struggled on the... F- Don't fucking invite an anarchist into your office. They're no, I'm talking about crazy. jump... Yeah, I mean, but... Okay. Anarchists got shit done. Yeah, but so, I'm talking about having a hole in your neck and being like, stop this man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, I'll bleed on him. You tackle him. He survived typhoid and scarlet fever and, yeah, and yeah. G- growing pain. What if a bunch of pins so. just shot out when he got shot? <laughs> ah, so much better. <laughs> I'm a doctor. So as the three men struggled on the floor, Berkman stabbed Henry four times in the Jeez. leg with a sharpened steel file. Ow. And then other employees finally rushed in and stopped Berkman. Henry was in critical condition, and doctors at the hospital gave him little chance of survival. Okay. 
While the doctors operated on him, he dealt with business matters. Uh, what business? What? I mean, he was just like, don't cave. What about fucking enjoying life for a second? Or what, like, what about taking a break? What about when you're dying? You're not like, I got to get some paperwork done. <laughs> Save this receipt. I got to write some checks. That's my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting some blood on these checks, but they're still good, right? <laughs> Yes. Oh, no. I'm your nurse. Uh, As he was being operated on, he cabled Carnegie to assure him he was not more... Carnegie, how are you, old chum? I'm good, buddy. What's new with you? I've got a story you're not going to (laughs) believe. On hearing the news that Henry had been shot, one of the soldiers guarding the Homestead Mill shouted, quote, Hurrah for the man who shot him! Can we just bring bring back hurrah and three cheers and three cheers and three cheers three three cheers unquestionably like probably in the 1800s if someone said three cheers for anyone you were just like (laughs) give a shit no don't do it Um, no I'm just kidding (laughs) so after the uh, uh, the soldier did that he was a private. Okay. An offer, officer had him hung whoa, whoa, from a tent pole by whoa. his thumbs. What? <laughs> I won't die! <laughs> Until his heartbeat grew so faint, a surgeon ordered that he be taken down. What the... What just happened? <laughs> Some dude got thumb-noosed until a surgeon was like, he'll die, his heart. Everyone's like, what's happening right now? Uh, but even when he was taken down the soldier refused to apologize and was given a dishonorable discharge over the thumb game? his head was half shaved what? no hats either and he was kicked out of the camp wearing rags what just happened to everything? we're in upside downsville he did a hurrah that he shouldn't have done (laughs) and he got hung by his thumbs don't hurrah the wrong way so Henry turned out to be okay. He went back to work within a week. What? I know, right? Shot but every time neck. he was near you, it was just like... <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Hold on. There, that's better. You uh, fucking shot in the neck twice. Shot in the neck twice, and then a week later, you're like, how was everybody? Uh, so he never really stopped working as he dealt with the strike from his hospital bed. He also attended the funeral of his son, Henry Clay Frick Jr., who passed away on August 3rd. Okay. So cool. His kids are dead. I mean, that's bad, but at least he's suffering. Yeah. I don't know if you know what butt's used for. <laughs> Besides pegging. Berkman was charged and found guilty of the attempted murder. He was sentenced to 22 years in prison. Support for the strikers started to fade. The press coverage on their attack on the Pinkertons did not help, and now the assassination attempt made it worse. After months, the picket line began to be crossed regularly. The militia was pulled out by October 13th after a 95-day occupation. The strike left the union broke. It cost 10000 a week for 1,600 strikers, on August 20th, 1892, with a vote of 101 to 91, the union uh, voted to return to work, ending the homestead strike. And, and it cost 10000 They had $146,000 when they started. 
They, now they have nothing. And it's all over 20,000. Yeah. Smart, smart stuff. It was believed Carnegie was pro-union. He was famous for saying, quote, Thou shalt not take thy neighbor's job. All the workers thought Henry Frick was standing in Carnegie's way, but Andrew Carnegie put Henry Frick in charge, knowing exactly what he would do. The strike resulted in the AA losing their powerful position within the American labor uh, movement. Employers refused to sign with the union. By 1900, not a single steelwork in Pennsylvania was unionized. The union remained active in Ohio and Illinois for a while, but slowly faded. By 1909, membership was only 6,300. AA was taken over by the Steelworkers Organizing Committee in 1936. Henry and Carnegie started falling out. They had many differences and fights over business. Henry had offered to sell uh, land uh, to the company at $500 an acre, less than the appraised value. But Carnegie made insinuations about the profit Henry would make from the sale, so Henry withdrew his offer to Carnegie and sold the land to someone else for a half a million dollars more. Okay. Henry then responded to Carnegie's insinuations in a meeting in which the minutes were distributed throughout the company. Carnegie called on the board to request the resignation of Henry. Since Andrew Carnegie was the majority shareholder, no one could oppose. So why even call the meeting? I mean, you're just... <laughs> well, I just wanted to see everybody in person again. I call a motion to get rid of that guy. Motion approved by me. Hold on. How do votes work? That's it. I'm the guy. All right. Yeah. I'm like all the business people in one. Like a piano. (laughs) Guitar. Uh, So Henry just put in his resignation, but Carnegie wanted him out of the company completely. He pushed to have Henry's interest in the company seized. That would force Henry to sell $11 million less than at the market value. <laughs> to do this, he altered a 13-year-old document, Carnegie did, okay. and had it signed by principal owners who were not present at the original signing by Henry. <laughs> okay. Jesus. So sort of a little rip uh-huh. in the fabric of time. Carnegie then paid $1.5 million for stock that was worth 10 times as much. Henry then bought one of the greatest, greatest lawsuits in Pennsylvania history against Carnegie. The result was that Henry received $31 million in securities, which would later bring him $23 million more than Carnegie had uh, tried to force him to sell for. So Henry won. Wow, Henry, okay. Yeah. Henry Frick became the largest real estate uh, owner in Pittsburgh. In August 1919, Henry Carnegie died from pneumonia. Right before he died... Wait, he, who died from pneumonia? Carnegie. Okay. Right before he died, he sent a message to his old friend Henry, requesting a meeting. Uh, Henry responded, you can tell Carnegie I'll meet him. Tell him I'll see him in hell where we are both going. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That is tough for a secretary back then, though. She's like, "Uh, should I? um... Go ahead. Go ahead and read it all. Uh, okay, so just let him know that, um... Uh-huh. Is he coming? Well, what date did you want to meet him in hell? And, right, I'm... What? Um, I'm sorry. Read I'm the new. whole thing? Uh, okay, um, yeah. Is my I, old friend Henry coming? I'm about to die. Um, uh, well, um, unfortunately... Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Um, hey, uh, sorry, that's not there. Um, uh-huh. I cannot meet... I, I, sorry, I will meet you. I'll meet oh, you oh. in the place where we're both going. Oh! Hell. Oh, what? Yeah. No! 
Yeah, so what date works, I guess, is what no. I'm trying to figure out. Because the next week and a half, you're jammed with a funeral I'm, stuff. I'm dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so that's why I'm saying yeah. we should do this before you die. You know, and where does he want to do it? Is that what I should send back? Or how do you... Um, maybe what we'll do... Oh, gosh. I'm just... I can't pull the trigger. <laughs> oh, whoops. <laughs> okay, you're dying right now. Okay. Okay. Hey. Hey. Okay. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you a bunch of sandwiches to take to hell. <laughs> and then... I'll put them under your tongue like a piece of gold when you're going over the river Styx. And then, and, and, no, Andrew, Mr., Mr., Dr. Mr. Carnegie. Yeah, yeah, I don't think you know how death works. No, um, but I'm just going to schedule the, oh, boy. (sighs) Let's do egg salad with dill. (laughs) I'll slip them, I'll cut them into fourths and put them under your tongues. (laughs) Did I do good? Just before he died, Carnegie wrote that he felt guilty about Homestead and said not one drop of blood was worth it. You know, maybe now this is just me, but maybe he should have thought of that. It's bullshit when he was doing it, it it's, or it's such, before. It's so such bullshit. Your deathbed confession. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, you, you fucking rich. No, fuck. yeah. It means fuck all. You don't get to sit on your deathbed and go, "I'm sorry about everybody I killed." Yeah. No more. I, that is that is one of the major problems with organized religion. Probably is that the, the belief yeah. that like at the very end you're like, oops, and like that's it. Oh, all good. Welcome to heaven. <laughs> Let's play volleyball on clouds. He's fine. He said, oops. I oopsed it. But then if you're on your deathbed and you don't get it out, oh, before I go, I want to say, oh. <laughs> He's going to hell. He's going to hell. He's going to hell. He didn't get to say it. Ah, thank God I gave him sandwiches. Less than four months. I later. understand you've packed sandwiches. <laughs> They're under my tongue. Well, the Dark Lord loves egg salad. Thank you, Dark Lord. So close. Less than four months later, on December 2nd, 1919, Henry Clay Frick died of a heart attack. After his death, the New York Tribune wrote, quote, the name of Frick was abhorrent to a great number of his fellow citizens. As the largest real estate owner in Pittsburgh, Henry left 150 acres of undeveloped land to the city for use as a public park. He also left uh, substantial funds for the maintenance of the park, $2 million dollars, Henry Clay Frick Park opened in 1927, eight years after his death. It is now the largest, muni- largest municipal park in Cleveland. In 2000... Oh, sorry, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. No, no. Pittsburgh. He opened it in Cleveland because you guys hated him so much. I got you, big boy. Yeah, yeah. Stick with old yeah, yeah. Gary. I might have I been writing that at the end and got tired. Uh... In 2013, researchers at the University of Pittsburgh determined that contrary to the South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club's claims, the dam had been lowered by three feet, not one. They just got what? (laughs) Well, we did it. Thanks for the grant. Who who was going to research back then? Well, nobody, but I mean, at this point, you'd think we'd be like... At this point, why don't we blame rich people whenever we can? (laughs) Yeah, okay, sure. Um... There just there might be some other things we could do with the eh, I'm I'm fine with this kind of shit. No, I be- time traveling damn solutions are high on my priority list. 
Okay. So they determined it had been lowered by three feet, not one, and that the changes reduced the dam's ability to discharge stormwater by half. Henry Clay Frick, Andrew Carnegie, and others were only responsible for the deaths of thousands. Today you can see Henry's amazing art collection at the Henry Clay Frick House on the Upper East Side in Manhattan. Henry Clay Frick became a hero to the upper classes forever after crushing the unions. One can still Google his name and see articles that fawn over his business smarts. They neglect to include that he was responsible for the death of thousands. So that's why the study matters, because if you go online and you Google his name, you'll see a bunch of fucking dickheads from Forbes and the Wall Street Journal and shit talking about how great of a businessman he is, but they miss the mass murder part that's associated with him. So that don't, kind of I study agree, is important. I agree. I don't disagree. But don't they always miss the mass murder part? Yeah, but that's what I'm here for. Yeah, I agree. But the... Yeah. It just is so terrible when the... Like, like the icons are pieces of shit. So it's not even like there was like a system they're following that like started rooted in goodness. It's all just bile. So... L.A. has a park named after a guy who shot his wife in the eye. Oh, God. Pittsburgh has a guy, uh, a park named after a guy who m- murdered a bunch of union workers and, and helped kill thousands of people in a town. I guess we're lucky. <laughs> Finally, someone who makes Griffith seem grounded. But, you know, his, his relatives get to live on with tons of wealth. His name yeah. is, uh, is a museum, and he's got all this fucking art, Monet's, and all this shit. He, he should be considered yeah, a vilified. monster by yeah, our society. For sure. He should be, he really, should be no different that, that, than Charles Manson. He is a fucking monster. Wouldn't that be a good thing to do for us to just get a goddamn list of shitheads that we honor still? Yeah. For no reason, and just start ticking some boxes and just removing some bullshit so that people at least, like, eat. Because, they, I mean, if you see a statue of someone, like, if you don't know shit, and I don't speak from experience, but <laughs> if you see a statue of someone, you're like, good guy, good person, great human, right? You're like, there's a statue. But in reality, all the statues are just built on bullshit, and there's just, for some reason, we act like getting statues out are like removing pins from torsos for some reason. <laughs> And all you need is a goddamn bulldozer and a petition. At some point, I'm going to go to the fucking city council and see what happens, but be like, hey, can we name Griffith Park after his wife instead of him? But you guys should do the same thing here. That park should be named after Martha. Yeah. Should, because he's a fucking murderer. He's a mass murderer. Martha Frick. Yeah. Yeah, the little girl who had a pin come out her side and put a statue of her with a little pin coming out. (laughs) Pin park. And it could have have eternal pus coming down the side. No, yeah, it's like a fountain where it's just like... (laughs) Just shooting out of her side. Guys, thank you so much for coming out. We really appreciate it. Can't thank you enough. Uh... Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you. 
Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it. After it. Let's see you there.